employees. Okay, so in every nation, uh, what we do, especially on the campus, we really hammer home the concept of the four E's. So, you know, how many of y'all have had a tremendous passion and a tremendous desire to do something? You just didn't know what's the right steps to it. In fact, I know people that's making multi-million dollars and all they do is they take people's passion and they put wheels, so to speak, on it. You know, so, okay, here's your steps. So what every nation has done is they've taken, they've taken the gospel, the Great Commission, and people like us, they get radically wrecked by God, changed by the gospel, transformed by the good news. And they say, okay, here's some simple steps in how to help other people see the same thing. Here's some steps in how to preach the gospel. Here's some steps in how to obey the Great Commission. So what we do on our campus, we really hammer home the four E's. So every Tuesday night when we have our meeting on campus, we have an ENC banner that says engage, establish, equip, and empower. So every time we talk, we try and refer to it, try and make it visual so people can see it. Why? Because in the midst of life, in the busyness of life, and all our to-dos and tasks that we have every day just to make it through the day, it's so easy to forget and put the kingdom of God behind us or think, man, this is so complicated. I don't even know. I feel this inside of me, this stirring. And sometimes we have real quick moments, real brief moments to have a big impact, you know. So a lot of times it's like a little word you'll say or a little prayer you pray. Or I've had people call me years after I've left a franchise or a city say, man, you probably don't even remember this. But one day we had lunch and I was just a part of the lunch. You might not even remember my name, but you said something and it changed me. So we got to be conscious of the fact that we always want to engage. Engage what? Engage culture and community. But engage them with what? With the gospel. So the method, what we want to talk about is engaging and establishing. So as, when it comes to the work of evangelism, you got to always think, okay, my job as an evangelist is to help people and equip people in how to engage the lost, right? Those who don't know Jesus and those who knows him, but they're not actively following him or, or actively serving him in a local context, right? So because those who know him follow him, but they're not actively serving him. So there's two types of lost people. Those who's outside of Jesus, outside of the blood, outside of covenant, they, they lost, okay? They need to be reconciled to God. And then there's those that's been reconciled, but they just, they lost. They don't know what to do with it, okay? So I want to engage them and teach people how to engage them with what? Not with good thoughts or opinions or just social gatherings, intentionally engage them with the gospel to allow the gospel to change them, right? And then when they start changing, what do I help? I help with the process of establishing them in Christ and in the church. So when it comes to the work of evangelism, again, I'm gonna say this so we really understand this. You'll be amazed at how quickly you forget this in the business of life. I wanna engage a lost person. I wanna communicate the gospel to him clearly and effectively. Okay, and as he sees the gospel, and if he responds to the gospel, I want to help him get established in Christ, which would be in the word, in truth. Okay, walk them through the process, take time to meet with them every week until that establishing moment they've really been rooted in Christ. Y'all know what I mean when I say that? I don't just preach to them and walk away. I preach to them and I'm willing to meet with them. You know, and so, and, and then once they get established in Jesus, I want to get them to what Jesus really cares about is his church. So what you got to become familiar with 
is not just how to preach the gospel, but also what is your church's first initial step. So, and this is where I make pastors really happy when I come in as an evangelist because I, I'm not just a traveling evangelist. I'm actually a pastor in my local context. So I understand how a pastor thinks. I'm thinking, great, don't come give my people this great strategy. And then all of a sudden you just leave them and they're just out there preaching the gospel, but no one ever comes to the church. So the efforts are just not really being maximized because God doesn't call us to go and preach to people and never see the fruit of that. So when I preach the gospel, I'm expecting God to change them, right? And then I'm also expecting them to, to become a part of what God's going to do through our ministry. So I'll tell people within the first couple of meetings, listen, I'm, I'm spending my time with you. One, I want to get you to Jesus, but I also want to show you how to come and help us reach this campus or reach this city. So I'm, I'm not confused about my role on earth. My role on earth is really short, <laughs> okay? I, I don't have much time. 70 years is not a lot of time. It, boom, I mean, I'm 32 now. Just yesterday, I felt like I was 20. I mean, it feels like a couple, a couple days ago, my first son was born, and now our fifth was born. I'm like, what in the world is happening? And I look in the mirror, and white cracks. You know, I'm like, this is crazy, What's going on? So my time, my time, I'm just messing, I'm going to keep messing with Jay. I'm just throwing it in there. Um, subtle, subtle. Um, but the fact is, is that as the, when it comes to the work of evangelism, we, the methods we want to use is we want to effectively engage and establish people. So engage people out of the church and get them established in the church. Now there's also people that comes to your church that's, that's fairly open to the gospel because if they make their way to church, they're not close to the gospel, Right? That means they're pretty, pretty open to it, but they're not saved, okay? And sometimes a Sunday morning is not compelling enough. I mean, it's just the body. It doesn't matter how good of a preacher you are or how many altar calls you have. Sometimes you've got to grab someone, sit them down and say, hey, have you applied the th stuff that you hear? And you'll be amazed at how many people have sat in church for years and still is not saved. In and, 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 and Nashville, there was a, a gentleman that's 65 by the time I met him. And he was actually for 12 years a connect uh, group pastor for a really, um, a really well-known church in, in Nashville and overseeing a lot of connect group leaders. And uh, I met him and I just had this real strong prompting. At that point, I'm 29, maybe 28. And so I had this real strong prompting to sit this man down and ask him about his life and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 and then get him into the one-to-one, -one, which we'll talk about in a moment. And as I started kind of unofficially, I didn't tell him, hey, I'm discipling you. I just was kind of slowly starting bringing him to the Word and opening the Bible. Say, hey, what do you think about this? And hey, what do you think about this? And by the way, I just thought, what do you think? And after the second meeting, when we got into the second chapter of the one-to-one, -one, come to Lordship. How many of you have done the one-to-one -one before? And come to Lordship. This guy looks at me. Now, he's a white man. But he became as white as snow. And he said, I've never heard this. He's got a, he's got a master's in theology. Okay? A he's a very successful businessman. Him and his wife own several companies. So they very, very successful man. And, uh, and he sits there and he says, I've never heard this. And he gets so pale, it looked like he was getting sick. And I looked at him and he said, Ernie, I have never heard the message of lordship in this way. Been to church for decades. Never heard this. I've taught. I've oversaw. I've, I've, so don't ever assume that people in your church have a good foundation. 
So always be looking, even in your church. And so we got that man's foundation fixed, and he started confessing sins that, that happened three decades ago and four decades ago. And, and all those years he was carrying that, and he was wearing this man out. And thank the Lord he got to just let that go and be like, man, I, the blood set me free from this stuff. I just never had to confess this. I never really brought my life under the Lordship of Christ, never really fully understood it. And, and, and he became effective at 65 years old. This man is still an effective witness for Jesus more than he's ever been. Okay, so don't just make the assumption that people have a good foundation. Help your leadership. Help your pastors um, work in the crowd. So in other words, when I show up on Sundays, one of my, um, my first pastor actually said, Ernie, listen, you've come here for a year. You've heard me preach. I'm not going to change many messages. So you've heard me say the same thing over and over again. He was, he, he's a real evangelist. He says, when someone new comes in, go find them and disciple them. So I remember every Sunday my task was, okay, when I get to church, meet a new person and try and disciple them, you know. And, so, and I had no clue what I was doing you know I didn't even know what the one-to-one was it wasn't even released at that point and I would just try and find somebody and tell them the Bible and and that's how I started helping my pastor grow his church because once someone understands the gospel gets transformed by the gospel it's imminent for them to grow and it's imminent for them to expand in their faith and start bringing other people to Christ does that make sense so if people understand the gospel they apply the gospel transformation comes and it always bleeds over it always bleeds over. I do not personally know many born-again believers that don't bring people to Jesus. I don't know very many. I know some that really just need some training and they're hungry for it. Okay, that's all they need. But most of them, uh, to some degree, is helping people come to know Christ. That's the, that's the whole point of knowing God is we love God and we love people and we love people by bringing them to Christ. Okay, so there's a principle I want to talk about and I just kind of was trying to set up the engage and establish part for you. So how many of y'all have heard of the SALT principle? Okay, so S-A-L-T. So the first S is start a conversation. So this is just a method that's very effective. It's, it really helps in almost every sector of life. I can't think of an area of life that this is not applicable to. Um, whether you're in a business meeting and you may be 10 minutes early for the business meeting, um, you just start a conversation with someone. Hey, how are you doing today? No, I'm doing great, man. How, you know, how's your family? You know, I'm having issues with one of my sons. Why, why tell me about this son. Well, you know what? He just has real issues with fear. Wow, that's interesting. Why, why do you think he's struggling with, with fear? Man, I don't know. My wife and I can't figure it out. So, so I started the conversation, and what am I doing? I'm just asking questions. But now my questions becomes more intentional. So I said, well, you know what? One thing, have you ever heard um, of a scripture that comes to my mind, uh, the perfect love of God cast out all fear? I've never heard of that. What is that? What is that? Well, you're, do you have any religious beliefs? Well, not really. You know, I kind of was raised in the church, and, but, you know, I don't, I don't really attend the church anymore. Um, I said, well, there's a scripture that says this. And you know what's crazy is that actually happened to me. I used to really battle fear. So what happened? So I asked questions. I started the conversation. I asked questions. The A is for asking questions. I listened to this person, and then I looked for an opening to tell my story and his story. 
So it's like a, I tell people this all the time, and because I, I come from a more physical, athletic background where fighting was involved, you know, I, I found myself in a lot of fist fights, and I say, if, to me, I feel like evangelism is like a boxing match. So when, how many of y'all watched uh, Mayweather and, 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 and Conor McGregor fight? Okay, Al- almost all of us, most of North America watched that fight, epic fight, biggest fight in history. Okay, if you didn't, I'll explain it right now. So Conor McGregor was a, is, a, is the UFC champion of the world, okay? He's from Ireland. I mean, I think the devil is scared of Conor McGregor. I mean, that brother, is, he, they call him, he goes by notorious, you know? He's kind of got this whole, he's built this, this persona, this E that he's unshakable, which we know he's not, but he's built that persona. And then Mayweather, obviously, is the most successful boxer in history, Okay, he has won the most. He's, he's the highest paid box, boxer ever in history. Uh, and he has made mo- more than a billion dollars of revenue through boxing. Okay, so that's huge. I mean, in, in, in boxing terms, it's, he's done what very, no boxer has ever done. The best of them that we've known, including Mike Tyson and Holyfield, etc. So they get in this ring and this big buildup, okay. And they get in this ring and Conor McGregor, he's new to the game. Okay, he's new. So he's, he's, he comes in and he's giving, you know, Mayweather everything he's got. And he's just blah, 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 swinging at him from every, thinking that somehow he's going to break this man down. So he's confident. I mean, he, he trained. He's confident. He's a, made a, a hundred and something million dollars. So, I mean, he's in it to win it, you know. And you can watch Mayweather just kind of look like for the first two rounds that he was losing. So you could see Mayweather allowed Conor McGregor to get shots and land shots on him that he normally won't let another boxer land because he knows that boxer. Because, but since McGregor has never boxed, he, he had no film to study, so he, couldn't, he didn't know how this would work out. But because he has been boxing for a long time, he knew that if I just let this man give me everything he's got in the first three rounds, I'm going to figure him out, and then I'm going to build my plan in the fight. Okay, so Mayweather is building his plan, not pre-fight, in the fight. Conor McGregor came in with a plan, and all of a sudden, by the third round, Conor realized, hey, my plan is not working. And he started getting fatigued. And that's when Mayweather realized, okay, this is how I'm going to chop this man down like a tree. Boom, boom, strategically, I'm going to just go chopping at him until he can't go anymore. And so he started working on Connor, and often I think in evangelism, that's what we do with people. It's like we get into the ring of life with them, and we start fighting for their life. We're not fighting against them, we're fighting for them. Saying, okay, how do I find a way to land a good punch where it penetrates this man's defense? Or this woman's defense, and I'm looking for an opening, so I start a conversation. I'm kind of feeling them out. I'm asking some questions. I'm feeling them out. I'm just kind of feeling the, I'm I'm trying to get a feel of who they are and what they believe and their worldview, and I'm listening very intently. I'm I'm really paying attention in this conversation. This is a a strategic, this is not just another conversation. This is a strategic conversation for me. And then at the very end, all of a sudden, God opens my eyes. I see the opening, boom, boom, the gospel hits them. And they just bow their knee before the king. And that's what we do as believers. Now, I'm sorry for your ladies in here that's like, oh, I don't like boxing for that, that illustration or analogy. But that's frequently how it is because it's a little messy. And sometimes you take some hits. I've had several insults in my life from people that I ended up leading to Jesus at the end of it. In fact, I've punched some of my friends in the face before and I've been punched. And those same people are now worshiping Jesus. 
Now, all of us aren't the same, you know, so that's just, I'm describing, not prescribing, okay? So there's a difference between being descriptive and prescriptive, okay? So don't punch people and do stuff like that. But at the end of the day, God's going to show us as we start conversations, as we ask the right questions, we listen. He's going to show us how to tell our story of how the gospel has changed us and obviously tell his story that's applicable to that person. And you'll be amazed at just the simplicity of that principle and how that helps. Because most people, when you meet them, they like to talk. And so when I get to speak, I'm expressing my value to you. So I'm basically displaying myself, and people like that. If you speak, you're displaying your value. So that's why people never like a one-way relationship where one person just dominates always and the other person never gets to express what they think or feel. They feel less valued in that relationship, right? Little, little marriage advice or relationship advice there. So the bottom line is if we learn or, or, or understand that, hey, people want to express their thoughts. So I'll say to people, hey, listen, what's your views on this? And I listen. No, 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 you, that's crazy. No, don't ever do that. Let them, and even if they insult your faith, I just, I can't stand these religious people. I'm like, yeah, man, yes, you're right. I don't, I don't like religious people either. This is dead. Yeah, it's dead. I don't want nothing to do with it. And so I'm listening. And so this person is throwing their shots and I'm just listening. I'm paying attention, like grappling with them a little bit. And at some point I realized, hey, this person is really hurt. Something really bad happened. They had a really bad experience. So their hatred towards God is really because of an incident. And I'm able to untie that knot and all of a sudden they're like whoa I can't tell you how many times I've started with people saying I don't like this and I don't like this and I don't like the church and I don't like God and I don't you know that I don't like religion and after just a few minutes of really asking strategic questions listening to them speak and then being led by the spirit and, 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 and knowing how to apply my testimony and, and, and the gospel to that circumstance, that person's walls just drop down like, I mean, the walls of Jericho on the seventh day. Just, and all of a sudden I can just march in. And now I can work with their heart. And we gotta become specialists at that. That's the work of the evangelist. That's the work of evangelism. It's becoming so good at sitting and listening to people talk about their life, their pain, their views, their beliefs. Because every day, so much is being thrown at them. And all they're doing is they're just wearing what's thrown at them. In other words, people throw them shirts and clothes and shoes. And, and all they're doing is they're walking around in it. They just don't know that that's not very good. And they need a little change. And so you know that when you meet them, so but you listen and you are enduring with them. I mean, God's love is enduring. It, it endures. It weathers storms. I've had people get so mad at me and I looked at them and I said, listen, I know you're mad at me right now. I value you too much to just walk away from you. I'm not buying your anger. And then they start crying and they repent, you know, and allowing people to be themselves Allowing people to express. Let people get comfortable around you. Don't walk around with your Bible and hit. Listen, the worst thing you can do with a sinner is tell him you're a sinner. He knows that. People that's been offending God, that's hiding from him, what did Adam and Eve do the moment they sinned? They ran. What did God do? He pursued them. So what, what do people do in response to the sin in their life? They run. Well, I'm not running from him. <laughs> But you see, well, it looks like you are. You're not running to him. 
So, but I'm not there to point to them initially. Just first, like, I remember this interview recently. Um, what's that pastor of Hillsong in New York's name again? Shaul, Carl Lenz, right? Shaul, Lenz, Carl Lenz. And he was getting a lot of heat from the media because they asked him on his stance on abortion. Now, if you're a pastor for Hillsong, you, you know, Hillsong Church, you have to be pro-life. I mean, you can't be a pastor for the churches if you're not pro-life. I mean, that's just, that's, that's doctrine in the church. They believe in life and the giver of life and you can't take life. But so they kind of set him up. The media, you know, he's kind of have a lot of notoriety and God's given him a, a big platform. And I listened to this uh, radio. Christian people actually just, just, just smash him. And he's an evangelist, really, because he's in New York City reaching people that will not typically go to church, okay? And he is just being absolutely ridiculed for it because there's sinners in his church. <laughs> and sinners feels welcome in his church. It's kind of like when Jesus went to go eat with the tax collectors and the wine drinkers and talk to prostitutes. The religious leaders just started crucifying him. You see what religion does, religion imposes self-righteousness. What Jesus does is he says, listen, there's nothing about you righteous. That's why I'm coming to you in your mess to pull you out of that. Okay, so Cole Lenz, is, they asked him something about abortion. Is he pro-life? And he said, well, the first thing I would ask someone that's had an abortion, okay, I'm paraphrasing, is what's your name? So he, was, he could see the... He could see the setup, so he tried to avoid it. And he said, the most important thing to me when I meet someone that's had three abortions is not to let them know that it's a sin. He said, the most important thing I think in that moment is to ask them, hey, what's your name? Who are you? Where are you from? What brings you here today? And so what we need to do is, as if, when it comes to the work of evangelism is not turn our religious, self-righteous views on people because God's righteous, right? He says there's no one righteous but Him. And even our best offering is a filthy rag in His eyes. So even the best thing we do for Jesus is still clothed with selfishness and idolatry. That's why the only thing we have that's righteous is the blood. That's the only reason I can stand here with boldness and proclaim the gospel. It's not because I'm so righteous in myself. It's because His righteousness is now mine because He took my sin and shame. So I'm confident in Him, but not in myself. My confidence is in the cross. It's in the blood, not in Ernie. Please not. <laughs> Ask my wife and kids. They see Ernie. They see my weaknesses. They live with me. I have to repent to my kids and my wife say, I just, I overreacted. I'm so sorry. Gosh, that was just wrong. Daddy, I'm so sorry. I was thinking about a million things and I didn't think, oh, I'm so sorry for ignoring you or not making you feel like you're important. So I'm not righteous in and of myself. I'm standing by faith in the righteousness of Christ. So what I do when I interact with someone that's lost, I can identify with them. I, I know what it's like to be a sinner, Right? I mean, how many of y'all had a perfect week this past week? None of us, right? <laughs> people just start chuckling like, ah, not me. So when people are struggling, when they're going through stuff, they don't know Christ, I'm not mad at them. So in other words, if someone lies to me and they don't know Jesus, hey, I'm not offended by that. Of course you're going to lie to me. If someone says nasty things around me, I'm not going to be mad at you. Of course you're going to say that. What do you expect? you expect the lion to be a vegetarian? 
No, lion eats meat. That's what they do. It's their nature. So it's people that's unreconciled, that's, that's not born again. Of course, they're going to love what's wrong and hate what's right. Do, do I get mad at a man for being an adulterer? No, I come alongside him and say, hey, champ, let me show you a little alternative here. Let me show you some stuff here. Because if they can't come to you, if you are so righteous that, that, that you are out of their reach, where will they go? Where do they go? Where do a man go that's molested a little girl? Where do they go if they can't come to the church? That's a real question. Where do a, a woman go that's, that's, that's had an affair outside of marriage and she feels like, well, all the woman at church is now judging me? Where can she go to find the love of Jesus and the redemptive love of Christ that reconciles anyone? No one is out of his reach. Where can a young, troubled teenager go that's been in and out of juvie, has lied to everyone around them, mom and dad is not protecting their reputation and letting the whole world know what they've done wrong. Where can they go if not to you? Do people see you as a place of refuge where they can just come and talk about their mess? Or do they see you as someone that's just gonna pour salt into their wounds, it's not gonna bring healing, it's gonna just keep on burning? And when it comes to the work of evangelism, we, we can never forget in terms of our method of loving people with the righteousness of God, with the goodness of God, and the knowledge that once God gets them, He's going to change them. Does that make sense? Okay, so you guys get the, the concept of the soul principle, right? Engage, establish. So the two-minute miracle, how are we doing on time here? The two-minute miracle, how many of you have ever done the two-minute miracle? So what we do is we teach people and how to be able to like have like an, you know, in business terms, an elevator speech. So how do you introduce your company to someone in an elevator? Knowing that, man, he's going to get off on the next floor. Hey, man, my company is about this, 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 this. Boom. They walk out of there with a business card knowing exactly what your company is about. When I meet someone I don't know, I have a few moments with them, okay? What's my elevator, my spiritual elevator speech? You know, someone just meets me. I've had someone come up to me and say something like, let me think of an example. Um, like, dude, did you, see those, did you see that girl's, you know, body parts? And I'll be like, dude, I did. But you know what? She's fearfully and wonderfully made. I used to think that way until Jesus changed my life. And I can't see them the same anymore. I see them with extreme value. Hey, man, good to meet you. Hey, what, what, what did you say? So like learning how to quickly drop a two-minute miracle. Now, there's a little bit more of a full version where it's 30 seconds. What was my life like before Jesus? One minute. How did, what happened? How did I encounter Jesus, the gospel, and how did it change me? And then the last 30 seconds is what's the result of the gospel's change in me? How is my life looking different now than it did look before? So in other words, when I meet someone or I have a moment to say something, and I probably have maximum two minutes, say, man, you know what? I used to be a liar, a sycophant, a self-righteous, selfish, deceived person you can't trust. But someone came and introduced me to Jesus. Man, I've never seen the gospel like that. He showed me the gospel. I saw Christ for the first time so clearly. I gave my life to Him. I repented. I turned from my old ways. Surrendered my life completely to Him. And let me tell you, man, since then, my life has never been the same again. I have confessed my sins to this person. I have paid that person back money I owed them. I went to my mom and dad and I told them this, you know, that I stole money from them and they don't even know about it. And so within two minutes, I'm able to articulate 
what, what the gospel did in me. So what was I like before the gospel? How did I meet Jesus, the good news? And what's my life been like since then? So why don't we quickly take this. Let's just have some fun for just one moment. I'm going to get one or two of you guys up here. So let me say, is it Matt right there? Is it Matt? Matt, why don't you come up here quickly and then give me one female volunteer. Aisha, why don't you come up? Okay, so just because I remember her name. Um, Matt, we're going to give you, and this is on the spot, okay, just to kind of do a little synoptic here. Just kind of do a little, you know, snob, kind of a test to see how good we are at communicating the gospel transformation in two minutes, 30 seconds BC, a minute of how, how you encountered the gospel. And people need to be able to hear the gospel in that minute, like what the gospel is, have more clarity about it, and then what has it been like since. You go two minutes. Hold on, let me see. You just shocked me. Okay, starting, let me give a timer out. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll tell you when I'm ready. You ready? Okay, no pressure, no pressure. Mm-hmm. Saved one minute after. Timer, yes. Okay, let me see this. Okay. So the result. So 30, 30 seconds BC, before Christ. What was life like before? Give them a brief description without really glorifying the devil, right? And be, I've had people say, well, you know what? I had an STD and I'm like, dude, hold up. You're not married yet. Don't say that in front of a thousand people. You know, just say, I lived, a I lived a promiscuous life. That covers everything. You know, don't be too descriptive, you know. Um, describe enough, but don't be overly describing. You know, I had one guy literally come up and share his testimony, and he described what his genital parts looked like because of a sexual disease. And I sat there and I was like, Dad, I can just never see you the same again. I'm just, every time I hear you speak, I see that part of your body, you know, and so did the whole room that was there that day. So, and that's just the extreme example, you know, there's some more, you know, so obviously just to give you a context. Okay, hold on. I'm almost ready for you. So your two minutes is going to start right about now. Go, Matt. Okay. So uh, my 30 seconds before Christ, uh, I had a kind of a background pretty similar to Ernie. Um, you know, growing up, I was always in sports. I was always, I was always the big man on campus with sports as a young guy and a pretty popular guy. So I, you know, had had the women, had everything like that, had the popularity. Um, so I got into a lot of that stuff. I got into the materialistic side, the the physical side, and everything like that. And uh, that pretty much ruled my life. And that's that's how I defined myself, and that's who I was. Um, recently, I went overseas, and uh, all that was taken away from me. I, I was completely overseas for work. And I was completely on my own. I was out of the popularity, out of the materialistic. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who I was. I lost my identity. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and I hit some dark times. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough to be in a new place by yourself, completely alone. Very, very tough. Um, you lose a lot of yourself. And especially when you're so tied to the popularity, the, uh, every, all the materials, everything like that, um, the, intent, uh, the attention of other people, um, you lose your identity, you lose yourself. And uh, so I spent a lot of time by myself in those overseas and environment. And uh, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in just quiet, quiet meditation, uh, quiet reflection. And uh, that's, that's where I found Christ was, was, was at that time. Is, wow. Is uh, I really, I touched, I touched on it. I found something deep inside with me and I, I had a moment. And I still remember it. It's February 18th uh, last year um, is, is when I really, really bought into Christ, you know, growing up, I was always in the church. Grandpa was a Methodist minister. So I'd heard the word, never really touched in. Um, and so now coming back into it, it's, uh, I've really brought, I've moved away from the materialistic side and it was kind of something that Ernie touched on before is that, uh, you know, uh, 
Um, someone says something about a woman in, in an elevator. You know, I, I have that thought. I have that power in me now that, that Christ has given me to pull Boom, away from time's it. up. That's really powerful. That's, I'm sorry for cutting you off. That's really good. That was good. But so, yeah, you can give him a hand. That's good, Matt. So, Matt, I, I don't mean to cut you short because I, I want to hear the rest of it. The, the, so that was two minutes. So within, when, whenever you, like I would encourage all of y'all to go and put a timer on and, and, and actually practice. 30 seconds BC, one minute conversion, 30 seconds after Christ. Does that make sense? Just to learn how to actually like even write out your testimony so you know, okay, if I'm sharing too much on this thing, then I'm going to play into the time of the after. Most people give you two minutes of their time to actually really hear your heart, if it's quick. I'm not talking about relational events. I'm not talking about a once-off little moment with someone. Does that make sense? Matt, we, we, we'd love to hear more of your testimony. Aisha, go for it. I'm going to put you on a timer too. And I should have said this. I'm going to cut you off at two minutes, okay? So let's see how far you get. Hold on. Let me see. Matt, that was really powerful. I'm super impressed. That was actually pretty good for a first time. Aisha, your time starts now. Okay. Um, so before Christ... I was um, kind of just uh, very performance-driven, uh, just wanted to be good. I was a rules girl from the very beginning, um, just listening to what uh, authority said or just being a good kid, pretty much. Um, and my mom got saved uh, when I was around eight. So I um, knew about Jesus, but I didn't really know him. I just knew about him. Um, and then uh, when I was 18, I, I graduated high school. I went to uh, college, and uh, I had to move uh, to go to college. I went to Austin, and it was the first time that I was away from my mom, who was pretty much the only source of faith that I had. Um, it was the first time I had to stand on my own feet when it came to having faith, and uh, she gave me a Bible before I left, so I started to read it. Um, but I was just so incredibly self-righteous that it was hard for me to see that I was a sinner because I just didn't feel like I was so bad um, because I'd played by the rules all my life. Um, but wow. eventually, eventually I, um, I did have that moment of truth where I knew that I was, an unholy, I was not holy because I had encountered the holy God and it's only when you see his holiness that you can only truly know that you're not good enough. And yeah. I, I knew then that I was not good enough. And um, so I told the Lord, I'm not good enough for you, so just forget about it. That's great. And, um, and then I just decided to live my own life because I, I realized I wasn't good enough before I was trying to earn his um, approval. That's it. That's really good. Did y'all hear the gospel in, in these two testimonies up to this point? Now, can you, as you listen, can you hear, okay, uh, there's traces of the gospel, but we, we want to ask ourselves when we share our testimony, even when it comes to a two-minute miracle, uh, how good can we get at really boxing the gospel in that two-minute miracle? So you said something about, I, I felt my holiness, and then all of a sudden I saw God's holiness, and I knew I'm not holy. I mean, that's powerful. So maybe get to that point quicker, you know. And so what we want to do is go home and, and actually write down, take the time to write down your two-minute miracle. Hey, how did Jesus 
changed my life. So what, what was I like before him? How did he come in and change me? And what's it been like right now? And you'll find yourself having so many moments. And you'll be more confident too to share it. So that you get in an Uber car. You know, you, you, you start a conversation, you ask questions, you listen. And then you know, man, I'm about two minutes away from my destination. And this person finally said, hey, well, how about you? Well, man, hey, I'm going to just let, share this about my life. And boom, boom, boom. Katie and I got into an Uber drive recently. We went to North Carolina. And the guy picked us up at four in the morning. And we lived 10 minutes, maybe 12 minutes from the airport. And by the time we got to the airport, he prayed the sinner's prayer. You know, so, but I knew in that moment, I, he was from Ghana. So I started asking, I started the conversation. I asking, I'm asking really good questions. And I, and because I know Africans, so I know how to get them to spiritual stuff quickly. And I'm listening. And at the boom, at the very end, God just showed me exactly what he wanted how to apply the gospel in my story. And at the end, he said, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. And we prayed and he gave his life to Jesus and we had to go catch our flight, you know. So we had two minutes. Hey, thank you so much, guys. Would you all give him a hand? Thanks, Aisha. Thanks, Matt. And, I, and again, I, I hope it's not rude that I cut you guys off. I just want to show you guys when it comes to a two-minute miracle, you can share a lot in two minutes. Just make sure when you have that two minutes with somebody that it's a powerful two minutes that really displays Christ. So it shows my need for Him, His love for me, and His transforming power and the result of that, right? Now listen, let me say this. The gospel can always stand without your testimony. But your testimony can never stand without the gospel. In other words, I can share my testimony with someone, but if I don't include the gospel, it will never be as powerful. So a testimony must always point to and edify Jesus Christ, the gospel. Man, listen, I was lost. I was dead in my transgressions. And you can even use those language. Don't be over churchy, but don't, don't, don't underestimate the power of the word, you know. And then tie your story into his story. Don't tie his story into your story. Don't come out of there and someone's like, man, I want to be more like you. Come out of there, they come and someone come out of there saying, gosh, I think I need Jesus just like you. Does that make sense? And that, trust me, you get better at this. This is something that we don't just all of a sudden show up as this mighty evangelist. I mean, you just, through trial and error, I mean, I've walked away from many meetings thinking, gosh, I just ruined that. That was bad. I didn't even tell him who Jesus really is, you know. So I have had many of those moments. I have had many moments where my mind is not focused enough. I don't get to the point quickly and that person has to leave. I thought we would have more time and boom, opportunity missed. And I don't live with fear like that. I'm not like, oh gosh, I missed opportunity. Woe is me. I don't live like that. But also live with the understanding and the moral obligation to communicate Christ. Does it make sense? In other words, communicate Him. We are communicators of the gospel. Communication is very important. Now there's something called one verse evangelism. I want to get to this for the sake of time. Anyone ever do one verse evangelism in your life? Ever use that, hear that term? So one verse evangelism is simply this, Romans 6.23. How many of you all know that, 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 that verse? Loud, Terrence, Loud? Yes, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord is eternal 
life. So in other words, I meet someone, I start a conversation, I ask questions, I listen, I tell the story, but we don't have much time. I'm really fishing for this life. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a hook in his life and say, hey, hold on, how much time do we have? Man, I have about two minutes. Let me tell you quickly. Listen, there's a scripture, Romans 6.23. It says that the wages of our sin is death. In other words, that our sin actually is producing wages and that way someone's going to have to pay for our sin. And it's death. It's eternal separation from God in hell for all eternity. And it's inescapable. It's imminent. It's coming. You, you are heading that way, my friend. But, that's a really good but right there, okay? But the gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord is eternal life. So yes, you and I have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have, but God offers us a way of escape. And this is how it's when you put your faith in Jesus. So it's called one verse evangelism. Now let me just say this. Sometimes these things seem so mundane and so elementary. But let me tell you what, if you start thinking for one second that God's word is mundane and elementary, you don't understand the power and the authority of God's word. See, God's word is not just a couple sentences on a couple pages, right? 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by over more than 40 authors. It's not just that. It's actually inspired by him and he backs it up. So when I show someone a scripture, I know that that scripture has to have an impact on them. Now, for some of us, you may be like, man, like... I have done the one-to-one -one and one-verse evangelism, evangelism now for more, than 30, for more than 12 years. So do you think sometimes I, I'm like, okay, for the wages of sin is death, they give the God and Jesus Christ, they don't allow that. And I'm like, okay, I know this, I know this, I know this. But, but, for that person, it's the first time. It's the first time. And it might just be a life-changing time. And so what I do when I sit there, I, 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 I act as if, this is the first time I've ever seen this. How many of y'all have done, you've had to do something and you just don't feel very excited about it? Right? You was about to shoot up a hand. I can't tell you how many times I've sat someone down. I, my kids kept me up in the night. I've been working all day. I've been giving on myself. I feel pretty worn out. I just need a really big nap, but I don't have time to take it. And all of a sudden, I meet someone that wants to talk about the gospel. And I pull out this scripture, and I sit there. And for a moment, I look at it, and I'm like, oh, man, here we go. And then I'll hear God say, hey, <clears throat> this person's life depending on it right now. I kind of need you to get excited about it. And I'm like, I'm digging deep. I'm like, you know, I'm digging deep to get excited about it. Right? You know, anyone know what I mean? Come on, don't act religious on me like you're always excited about the Bible. I'm digging deep in my soul to find that last bit of excitement I have for this day. Okay? And I pull it out and I'm like, man, let me tell you the wages of your sin. And all of a sudden I start wearing it on my face. And I'm putting my whole heart and mind and soul into that scripture to explain it, to help this person see it. And my conviction about this scripture starts lighting up their conviction. And then the Holy Spirit gets in and the angels get in. And all of a sudden, boom, someone gives their life to Jesus. And they pass on from death to life. And I'm thinking, golly, I had no idea it would end like this 45 minutes later. So as you work for Jesus, don't let what you feel about the Bible dictate the authority of the Bible. No, beforehand, God's word is not just authoritative for you. It's authoritative for all of creation. 
He has all authority. Matthew 28 says, listen, all authority is mine. So how much authority does the devil have if God has all authority? None. Therefore, I tell you go. You must go. So when we go, we act, we obey God, and we sit in front of someone, and we explain the word. The word must work in them. It's a promise from God. Many times I've done that, and it looked like that person just looked at me like, whatever, dude. And he got up, that's okay. Then I'm not, I'm not letting that one experience make me believe that the next time it's going to be bad again. Because I know that work is doing something even if I can't see it. Because I live by faith and not by sight. I mean, it's, it's deeply, I mean, it's not very, I'm not blowing your minds right now, but it's the bottom line. It's the truth, right? How many times you share your faith and it goes bad? Anyone ever have a bad experience in sharing your faith? And you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do that again. Ooh, that was weird. That was, I have been so embarrassed before. I've had guys look at me and say, listen, where's this God you talk about? Because you're always injured or you're always this. And, and I'm like, bro, I don't know, but I know he's here somewhere. He said he's here. I believe it. I mean, ever been there before? You're like, man, I, it doesn't look like that right now, but he's here. Don't, don't let circumstances or experiences steal your confidence in God's authority and His Word. Don't, don't do that. Don't live by sight. Live by faith. This faith is involved in this. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe God. If you study Scripture, of course, the Bible is not a book on science, but every time it touches on science, it's accurate. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning... Albert Einstein thought that the universe was eternal and later more science, phenomenal science, scientists after him came along and said, no, 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 actually we, we discovered something. There was a beginning and all the theologians were like, yeah, we've been saying that for a long time. So the Bible can be trusted. It's reliable. God's word, he's proven himself over and over and over and over and over again. How many times have you seen God's faithfulness in your life? But the moment you meet that one person that gives you some resistance, you forget God's faithfulness. Like, oof, oof, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I don't know if I, and you, you throw away your confidence. Listen, I'm, don't throw away your confidence in the word. I, I don't care who you are. I have walked into meetings when there's people smarter than me in that room, more eloquent than me in that room, more, um, more, more educated even on the Bible than me in that room, but they have no faith. And by the end of that meeting, they were standing there in tears, worshiping God, getting right with God. Because see, I'm not limited to me. I believe he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And when you start taking the word, put your life and your faith in it, and you say, God, you can do anything. You can use a stick. You, you, you took a stick in Moses' hand and opened an ocean how much more can you not do with me with just one verse or one little principle you can't and, and, and of course evangelism is not just an intellectual ascent you gotta have a genuine faith goal like God I'm believing you to see great things today methods without faith is dead you gotta have faith in anything you do does that make sense okay let me just check my time Let me just say this. So 
relational evangelism, lifestyle evangelism, and specific evangelism. So relational evangelism is daily with friends, family, colleagues, people that you see every day and you actually have the, the, the opportunity to build relationships with them. So you're intentionally bringing them around yourself and other believers so they can see Christ and see the gospel, right? So your approach with them is, excuse me, very different. Okay, so I approach people close to me that's in very close proximity, very different than someone that's maybe on a plane next to me and I'll never see them again. Does that make sense? So when I know I'm gonna see you tomorrow, I'm not gonna fire hose you today with the gospel and then tomorrow you're like, hey, weirdo. You know, the Bible says, he who is wise wins souls. So a lot of people say, well, you know, it's wisdom to win souls. You've got to win souls because you've got eternal rewards. Yeah, but really that scripture means it takes wisdom to win souls. In other words, if you don't, if you're not wise, if you're not, like, you know, people get says like a little toy, you wind up, like, and then poof, it just explodes. Like, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta know, hey, listen, relationally, I'm gonna build with you. I'm gonna lay one foundation and another foundation. Now, sometimes people will get it quick, and sometimes people is gonna take a while to get it, but I'm gonna move you closer to Jesus. So if I meet you at a minus 10, if that's the furthest away from God you can be, and a, a, a positive 10 is be getting getting born again, every time I interact with you, I want to through salt, starting conversations, asking questions, listening, telling stories, his story, my story, I want to edge you just a little bit closer to Jesus, right? That works very well in relational evangelism, okay? Does that make sense? Now, lifestyle evangelism is God encounters as you go. So that Roderick Woodson guy, that's just lifestyle. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready on the go. It's like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen today, but maybe God has a divine appointment. And if it is, I'm ready, baby. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to get into it. Does it make sense? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my whole life and mind and heart into that, that moment, make myself available to God. So as I go, I'm looking for opportunities to pray or share my faith. I see someone hurting or broken, and I'm available to God in that moment. That's lifestyle evangelism. I'm using the gifts of the Spirit, maybe a word of knowledge. Um, I'm thinking of this one story one time in, in Nashville. I'm giving a lot of Nashville stories because Sarah's never hear them, heard them. She always hears the Denton, D Dallas stories. Um, and, and, but I was sitting in a coffee shop in Nashville. Someone walked right by me as I'm working. And I saw this, this person and the Lord said, tell this person this, 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 this. And I said, well, God, make her sit down next to me. Then I'll tell her, show you how bold I am. You know, so she walks and she comes and sits down right next to me. You know, and I'm working. And at some point I'm like, okay, I don't want to be this weirdo. I'm a married man. She's a girl. Uh, she's young. You know, I don't want to look weird. You know, all the, all the excuses you come up with with not sharing the truth, right? You really convince yourself why this is not a good idea. Okay, God, this is not a good idea because of this, 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 this. And at some point, I build up the faith and the courage and I say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know this is pretty really awkward, so I state the obvious. Hey, this is probably really strange that I'm just talking to you for no reason. But when you walked past me, I heard God's voice say this, 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 boom, tears come out. She starts weeping, goes to our church, gets saved, and is now part of our church in Nashville. I, that's the only time I saw her. I heard someone else say that this lady said this strange guy gave her a word. And, you know, I heard via the grapevine she's a part of our church just by testimony. Another good story of lifestyle evangelism is on Easter Sunday. How many of you all know for Easter for churches is a big deal? We call it Super Bowl Sunday. 
Okay, that's, that's when a lot of people, CEOs, right? Christmas, Christmas, Christmas and Easter, only Christ, Christians, those on the edge, comes to church and gives God another chance, right? So it's a big deal. So that Sunday I was scheduled in Nashville to do the, the exhortation and have a little moment. And as an evangelist, I'm just always wanting to preach to somebody. And so I get a, 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 a like severe strep throat, like really bad. Um, and so I called the pastor. I said, listen, I can't come in. I'm going to have to go see, to the clinic. And my wife likes to dress up the kids. So I'm missing out on all the Easter festivities and, you know, the, the, the service and celebrating Jesus and what he did for us. And, and, and then my family is going to eat afterwards with my, our family. And so I'm like, man, this sucks. I'm just sick and I'm miserable. My throat's killing me. By the way, let me take a sip of water so I can speak tomorrow. Um, and I'm sitting pretty miserable in this walk-in clinic in Walgreens in Nashville. And I'm just like, uh, I feel like I'm dying. And this person sits down next to me and she looks like about what I look like, you know. She's got strep throat too, you know. And uh, I do lead guys to the Lord too. I'm just, for some reason, I'm thinking of all the female stories right now. I don't know why it is. Um, and I'm sitting there and I, I hear God say, hey, start a conversation. So I said, hey, so what do you do for a living? She said, well... I'm a property developer. I, I take properties and I turn them around. So she actually has a show with her sister, a twin sister, like the property brothers. And so they started a, a new show. Um, I think it's airing. I'm not sure. Someone told me that recently. Um, and uh, I started a conversation. I asked her some questions. And she talks about her son who uh, is really confused about religion. And, 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 and I said, so what do you believe? She said, well, I'm a Buddhist slash spiritualist slash, you know, she was pretty confused. And, um, and I'm like, okay. I said, well, why does it bother you so much that he's confused? Because it sounds like you're confused. And, you know, something as small as that. I can't remember all the details. And, um, and, and I got her attention. You know, I somehow hit the right nerve. And I started telling her the story of the gospel. And then the doctor called me in. So I went in and I didn't see her. When I got out, she was gone. And um, months later, someone came to me and said, hey, we met this, guy, this girl. She's got a TV show and property. And she said this guy from Bethel that has a South African accent talked to her about Jesus. And she got saved and she got baptized. And she's now part of a church. And I mean, I, I, I thought, no freaking way. This is not what? And because I couldn't tell what happened, but see, just that's a lifestyle. I'm I'm sick. I've got strep throat. God's not healing my throat. I, Lord, heal me, heal me. He's not healing me. And with a little bit of energy I have left, I share the gospel with this lady through the salt principle. And boom, now she's serving Jesus. She sent me an email two months ago. Hey, I don't know if you know, because she had no idea if I even knew. Hey, I found you on Facebook through a, a, a mutual friend. Just wanted to let you know I just got baptized in my church. Thank you so much for sharing the gospel that day. God changed my life. Yeah. So we don't know, but see, that's a lifestyle evangelism. And then specific evangelism, which would be missions. And I'm intentionally going. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it on my calendar that I'm going to this city or that country to go and evangelize and preach the gospel, okay? So that's another form of evangelism. And let me wrap this up. Let me see if there's anything that I shouldn't miss out. Um, let me just end with this. So I think when it comes to the method, it is so important. I said this earlier when engaged in the established part. It's so important that you really understand and study your church process. Become really familiar with city life's process of membership or process of discipleship that you, when you reach someone, that, you are, that you're the one that brings them in. So in our campus ministry, we tell our students all the time, and Sarah can attest to this, that listen, I'm not here to lead everyone to Jesus. That's your job. 
I'm here to lead you and make sure you don't preach a false gospel and to equip you to do it. And I do the same thing, but I'm, I'm not alone in this. We are an army for Jesus. So when our students meet someone, they engage them with the gospel. They take them through the one-to-one. It's a little booklet and it's a free app that's available. Pastor Chris can tell you guys more about that if you guys want to know. And we walk them. It's about a six-week process where we sit them down. We talk about salvation, lordship, um, repentance, baptism, the church, evangelism, discipleship. It really is kind of the backbone of the faith really quickly. So we sit down every week the same time and we explain those basic doctrines to them. You know, why do you need salvation? Why, why does the Bible say about Jesus being the Lord of your life, repentance, et cetera, et cetera. So we have Christians that's actively involved in the Great Commission that understands the gospel, okay? Um, and then they bring them to church. They take them to the first um, class at church because we're a church-based campus ministry. So they bring the student to church. So I'll see a student showing up with a new face. Hey, who's this? Well, my friend got saved last week and I'm just bringing them to the f- first time membership class or whatever it is, the foundations class. So they walk them through the process. So our student leaders become familiar with our church process and, and tie into that to become a part of that because you're not building a sub-ministry. You, you're part of this church to help build this church, right? So we do the work of evangelism is to build the body. It's not to build my connect group, it's to build the body. Does that make sense? And there's something that they get here that they're not going to get with me. So I know I want people to have, we call it multiple anchors. I want them to hear a little bit from Pastor Chris. And I want them to hear a little bit from Jay. And I know if they get around such and such, they're going to be impacted and be transformed. So I want them to get around other believers because I don't have it all. So I want to get them in and among other believers. Does that make sense? So when it comes to the method, don't just be out there evangelizing and people aren't actually becoming a part of the church. The body of Christ, this matters to Jesus. So people say, I don't like the church. I say, well, man, you have big problems because it's like telling a husband you don't like his wife. You know, Jesus loves his church. So if you don't like his church, then, you know, this is his body. This is his bride. You know, and we're all a part of it. So he, he likes it with its faults and, 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 and messes. And in fact, you are part of the mess, you know, and he loves you. So get over yourself. All right? Good. One, another, t- well, it's lunchtime, right, Pastor Chris? Are we, are we ready for lunch? Okay, so uh, you all want to take time to just ask two questions? Is that okay? Okay, so two, just, I'm sorry to limit it. I'm, we'll come back in at some, Pastor Chris and I talked about coming in and having maybe every six months another, another like layers of training. Um, go for it, Jay. Uh, 